Blog Talk Radio. Ah, yes. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. It's Monday, and uh, we used to do Comic Corner and Book Nook on Mondays, but we got away from it for a little while because of that little thing called COVID, and the comic books were on a very odd schedule. They weren't um, frequent enough for us to do a show, and blah, 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 and we got a little bit behind. So welcome back to Comic Corner, the first of many, and we're going to be talking about... We're going to be talking about Star Trek Year 5, Issue 19 and 20. I believe there's 25 issues in Year 5. So, uh, And I think that the final issue is a double-length issue, I believe. So um, I think. These so are the it's going to work I out pretty good. Also oh, heard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think we're going to work out just fine, guys. So, anyways, it is Monday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, and with me, as usual, are my Trek experts. We'll start off with Eric. Eric's out in Portland. How are you doing tonight, Eric? I am doing great. It was really fun to kind of uh, go back in time a little bit, explore some of these comics from a couple months ago, and it is super fun to be back here on Comic Corner. I always love talking about the canon-adjacent stuff, and, uh, man, these are some good ones. Some really good ones. They definitely are. And we also have with us, as usual, Charles. Charles is out in Las Vegas. How you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good. We got a bit of a cool, cool streak coming in. It's only supposed to be about 90 today. I was out working out of my school garden trying to clean beds so we can do a little bit more of a winter, fall, winter planting. As such, but we cut it short, and I rushed home to be ready for Comic Corner. Comic <laughs> Corner. Yay! So uh, our phone number here, we are live, as we always are, and our phone number here is 646-668-2433, and we'll be live for about another hour. So you can give us a call at 646-668-2433 if you have any questions or comments or you want to talk about Star Trek in the comics. We're here, and we would love to hear from you. Once again, that number is 646-668-2433. Put it in your speed dial, because that's the same number for every show that we do, whether it's Comic Corner, Stunt Tracks, Trek Talk, and Book Nook. doesn't matter. It's all the same phone number, 646-668-2433. So let's just dive right into Comic Corner and uh, talk about a little bit here. 
So uh, issue 19, after picking up a distress signal, the crew of the USS Enterprise discover that a deadly pandemic has ravaged the planet of Proxima Centauri. And that is where we pick up. And uh, Charles, Eric, who wants to start with this one? You can go, Charles, Charles, if you like. You want to start with this one? Well, sure, I can start with this one. This is... thought we'd already gotten through two parts in the last book. But finding out 19 finishes... I'm not sure if it's 17, 18, 19, or the story caught us in 18. But we definitely get a pickup of where we left off in 18. And in 18, they had just found out that the planet had been hit with a virus. I didn't go back and reread 18, but I know there was a mysterious virus and they're not sure what was going on. And in the process of it, McCoy's suit had been torn. And they were worrying about him being infected. So we start the book off with poor McCoy being stuck in a self in a sealed room while Kirk and Spock are in still in their safety suits. And McCoy's like, I can't do anything when I'm here. We can't let you out. McCoy's like, Well bring him in to me. And you get that kind of look Kirk is sick big, get nervous chapel. And it's like, okay, McCoy's going to get his way. But then we join, we join, we jump over to story B, which is finding out why, why the virus existed. Because this was not, an, this is not a known virus. It's not sure why the virus. <laughs> Sorry even happened. So we get the we get all the crew all of the security along with Sulu and Chekhov coming in. And who do they have cornered? But our lovely friend Isis. Who changes into a what was that into a tholian. It was a black crystalline tholian. Which, if I remember, correct me, guys, if I, if I, now we're going back a long time. These comics were were like months ago, but I believe that that black crystalline um, tholian is the same one that we encountered like, I don't know, eight issues, nine issues ago. Isn't yeah. it? Uh, eight or yeah, nine. I Let's so. try back in the beginning of the story. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Early it wasn't early stories we when we first met uh, Bright One. Right. Bright Eyes. Yeah. Yeah, and we but we didn't know at that time the connection between ISIS and this Tholian. 
Right. Now we do. So we do find out that, oh, the Tholian spy is trying to get rid of the Federation, or the Enterprise at least, was actually ISIS. And she's off attacking the red shirt. And almost take down Sulu and Chekhov. Except that I think they wear her down and she changes back to form. Yeah, Sulu whips out his uh, Sulu whips out his sword and kind of slides underneath her, and uh, she sees it coming. And wrong wrong scene. Oh, wrong scene. Yeah, he's. This is the first part where she turns back. She changes back and forth a couple times. Oh, okay. Wrong scene. So we go back to story A, and we run into this self-contained lab Corey gets to work with. And, of course, we get to hear a little bit of McCory's banter. As McCoy accused himself of being a zoo animal, being in a zoo. But he's working on trying to get answers to what's going on. Back to story B. Story does jump quite a bit. Back to attempting to trap ISIS. As she, as ISIS is going through threatening, threatens to go after Kirk next. And we're kind of bouncing between two stories. Kind of get a little bit of ISIS's story in here of kind of what was going, a little bit of what was going on. And once again, she's got to go after and try taking out the red shirt. As they're trying to get to her and say, try going after the, try fighting after her weak spot. And ISIS being a Tholian, it's a big game. Story one. Whereas McCoy's working on his patient. And McCoy doesn't get to blow the line this time. As as Chapel said, he's He's dead, Dr. McCoy. And we get the damn it. Kind of looking at the situation and thinking about what's going on. They lost one of the important leaders that they have in here. And then McCoy's like, okay, there's something else he can try. And it's a, it's another it's another argument of right versus wrong between Kirk and McCoy. McCoy's going to do whatever it takes to try do to try saving these groups. And we can tell he's got some kind of plan. We don't understand what his plan is, what his theory is. 
but he finally decides, okay, I don't think this virus is going to affect me. And he takes his helmet off. As you see Kirk in shock. And McCoy and Kirk, McCoy is like, nope. So Spock is sent off to a sent off sent off to a team. Oh, where do we? Somewhere I think Bright Eyes. Oh, they're sent off the planet, and Bright Eyes. Oh, did I miss a spot? Okay, I remember that we had a crew. A, story number three is a third crew going off on the planet. And with Bright Eyes' help, I think suspected there was something on the planet. Maybe I'm I'm getting ahead of the story. <clears throat> they, they find something on the planet. Then we're going back to story B. This is where we see the sword. Sulu comes over, and it's like, you can't attack her with a sword. And he goes with a sliding motion underneath her. Slides underneath her, getting her under. And that weakens Isis to where we start seeing that maybe she's, maybe they finally found a way of slowing her down. A, where's McCoy's testing out his theory? And you almost see McCoy going in, but it looks like mouth to mouth. And Kirk's like, bone. Worrying that he's going to risk infection. Corey's not listening. But all of a sudden, they go to chapel. And the patient's patient vitals are stabilizing. And they're realizing the cure is the fact that Coy took a small sample of his blood and injected it in the patient. And that helps cure the patient. So we start suspecting something's going on in here that Kirk's like, okay, he's putting a mission on the McCoy. McCoy beams down to the planet. Looks like he's got himself wired into a strange harness. And McCoy's method is saying, time to heal this place. And to realize that what McCoy did, did heal the planet. That he was able to use oxygen from his lungs and, uh, I guess using a blood sample and such, he was able to help disinfect, kill off the virus. He was able to create antibodies to protect the people on the planet. 
and he was able to save the planet. And yet we see a spot where they, this floated object they were getting near is rather floating in space again as a bit of a mystery. And kind of leave us hanging from there. That is a summary of issue 19. How was that? So, I found interesting was that um, I love the artwork in this issue. It was really good. I like the colors. The colors were vibrant, and the characters were really good. They looked like the characters. In fact, I found myself reading a lot of the lines, you know, as the characters, like Scotty and stuff, which is which. Um, yeah. It's just a sign that it's it's good. I like the fact that the spacesuits they were wearing were the same ones that they wore in the Tholian web. The silver tinfoil, like, yeah. uh, costume that they wore. Uh, that's the same outfit, they, that spacesuits that they wear in this comic, which is, you know, cool to tie back to that. And I forgot the Prox, Proxima Centaurians. This is that race of that hexagonal-faced aliens that the evil Admiral was a couple issues yeah. ago. Same yeah. same people, and uh, I thought that the the argument between Kirk and Spock over the ends justifying the means, and he brings up the the experiments that the Nazis did, and he's like, well, that doesn't make it right, and they had that they had this ethical debate over whether or not he should use the technology that he had to cure the virus, which of course. In the end, McCoy decided against it and used himself as a guinea pig, which um, which is definitely McCoy all the way. Yeah. Um, you know, that there's no doubt about it. He put it above his patience, which he did. And we, well, we find out that... Um, yeah, exactly. And then we find out that uh, 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 Isis... And um, what's the name of the, the what's the name of the agency she, she works for? Do they ever tell you? Uh, well, she, yeah, I mean, well, it's the same as uh, the one that Gary Seven works for. It's the uh, which is what? Oh shoot! <laughs> <laughs> the agency. Did you say it? No, it's uh oh, what's it called? It's called like Unicom or some kind of crazy. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. I'll think of it. Keep going. I'll think of it. Yeah, yeah come to find out that the, the, the agency of Unicom uh, genetically engineered this virus specifically for Proxima. And uh, I'm assuming specifically to get the Enterprise to go there uh, because the thing floating in space that, that isn't actually – Oh, that's the next issue. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. getting I'm getting into issue yeah. twenty. Anyways, I, yeah, I'm crossing up the issues here. Anyways, I, I think that the whole purpose of that was to get the enterprise there. Um because the virus was didn't have any effect on humans. And if the whole purpose was to kill Kirk and crew, you know, then that you know, that was a pretty dumb way to do it if they're immune to the virus. So I think the virus was created specifically to get Kirk and the Enterprise 
to Proxima Centauri for whatever reason, which we'll talk about in the next issue. <laughs> so, but I, I, uh, I enjoyed it. I, I, I really, I enjoyed this one. I forgot a lot of the things we had read because it was so long ago, but um, like I said, the colors are jumping off the page. They're very vibrant and the characters look really good. Like they're supposed to. And uh, it was just, it was just a good read. I, I enjoyed it actually. So, Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I... Oh, yeah, I really like Aegis. this issue. Aegis, that's it. That's what it is. I knew it was a five-letter thing, yeah. Yeah, I... You know, I it was such a delight to go back and, you know, look at more of Angel Hernandez's art. Um, I think they're... they're you know, like you were saying, the likenesses, uh, Jim, of all the characters are just amazing. And you, this is fundamentally an adventure story. There is tons of fighting, <laughs> some intense violence. Yeah. Uh, definitely, like, Isis lays into some people. Uh, so if you are wearing a red shirt, you are out of luck uh, in this issue. Um, yep. But I also like that you brought up, Jim, uh, the whole McCoy thing. You know, his suit was already ripped uh, from the previous issue, we already knew that um, he would have been infected with whatever. They had him kind of isolated, and of course, he pulls a McCoy and pulls off his helmet and saves the day. Uh, it is, you know, I like that uh, overall this series has tended to kind of focus a little bit on Kirk, but then they've kind of brought in some of these other characters a little bit more and tried to develop them in their latter years, you know, pre-movie. Um, in this case, I think the most interesting debate is the one that you brought up, Jim, which is the, you know, should he use the evil doctor's uh, research to help cure the virus? Uh, And um, I think that that is a debate that still goes on to this day in in real life, Um, you know, whether it's talking about, like, testing on animals or whether you're talking about, uh, you know, people who corral other people for nefarious reasons, et cetera, et cetera. Um, These sorts of things happen in here. Mm-hmm. Right. Or look at what the, look at look at the work they've done on COVID and the vaccinations for COVID. Yeah, yeah, and, and all the work that's been done on those. And some people thinking, oh, they're rushed, and they're all doing all this stuff to these vaccinations. It's like, yeah, I guess on this one, I was thinking more more Charles of the kind of interesting ethical debate on whether or not to use yeah. somebody's uh, research who may or may not have obtained it from like really nasty sources, you know. <laughs> Which is a little yeah. um, well, in this so case, it, we're talking about the evil, uh, and here we go with another evil admiral. But we're yeah. talking about the evil admiral with the there, who who was torturing the crew. And killing people and just being and just nasty and evil yeah. and and but he, he was, had but he was trying you know, but he was trying to do it in the name of finding a cure for the disease right so that's like the that's the interesting Star Trek thing is like and you see this over and over again in Star Trek in different stories is it okay to do a and even with Kodos Kodos is probably like the best example of that you know should somebody do terrible things kill a half the people to save the other half you know. Oh, yeah, I love a great that great ethical question. 
Well, that yeah, was a it's great just book. a great ethical. It's like the it's like an advanced trolley problem, you know, where the like do you run over one person or do you turn and run over a bunch of people and doesn't matter. Um, it's a great philosophical debate. So that I really enjoyed about this issue. I also totally dug that these crystals appeared out of nowhere and that Chekhov hands Sulu one and Sulu does a sliding like sword maneuver. That was so badass. I don't know where that crystal came from, but I love that it was there and that they used it as a sword. <laughs> um, I was kind of sad, though, because I'm pretty sure Bright Eyes is dead, man. I think they got her. Uh, I don't, no, I don't know. No, ISIS, was... not Bright Eyes. Or not Bright Eyes, sorry. ISIS, ISIS is what I meant to say. That's what I meant to say. Yeah, ISIS. Uh, I, don't, I think we might have lost ISIS here for good, which I'm kind of sad about uh, because she was a great character, um, you know, uh, a very evil character in this one and uh, one whose motives I've read ahead a little bit. Uh, we will find out more in the future, even though she's gone, uh, I think. So I'm very excited about talking about those future issues too. So I really dug this issue. The art was great. Um, you know, the philosophy was great. So I, I give this one uh, as a wrap to this story arc, a solid nine. I really liked it. Yeah, th- th- this one was good. This was a good wrap-up. I actually forgot what was going on. It's been so long. We've had so much going on. I know. I went uh, back and reread 17 and 18, too, and that was actually helpful. So if you if you care to go back and read those, those three work pretty well together. Yeah, it, I, 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 I'm with you. I think, uh, you know, I'm 8.5, 8.7, I think is, you know, right about where I would put it. Like I said, I thought the story was good. I thought the artwork was was top notch. The likeness was really good. Um, the different stories, like Charles mentioned, uh, bouncing from story to story to story, it kept you it kept you entertained and it kept moving. You know, it wasn't predictable like that, like um, uh, uh, the Odo story there that we read. Oh yeah, um, the, the uh, yeah. oh yeah, what was that even called? Something Deep I can't Space even remember. Nine. I remember sacrifice the cover, of. But I was... uh, Sacrifices. Sacrifice of angels? <laughs> no, that's, a, that's an episode. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yeah, that's an episode of DS9. It was so yeah, bad I, you I can't I, even remember the title of the comic. <laughs> yeah, I, I like a story that keeps me guessing that I can't figure out the ending in the first five pages of issue number one. And uh, this, this one was good. This one kept you guessing, yeah. and Bright Eyes has – and we're not done with Bright Eyes because we're going to get into Bright Eyes in the next issue – a lot more and I enjoyed it I you know 8.5 8.7 I think I would give this one and uh what about you Charles I'll go right about the middle of YouTube about 8.75 and the Odo one was too long a sacrifice there it is there you go too long a sacrifice it did have a cool cover though I mean a little boring for a comic book cover but it looked very mysterious it should have been called too long a comic because they could have done it all in one issue. (laughs) 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 No, I, no, I mean, very rarely do do I not felt the same way about that one. There's no question that none of us loved that. comic. (laughs) That was, that was like the weakest link of all the comics we've read. I think that was the one. That, that but you know like, what? We've been bathing in gold for a long time, so that one. That's like, true. Yeah. Well, so. that's, I think that's yep. our version of the Enterprise incident in novel. That's there you go. that's our Spock's brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
or our Friday's <laughs> child. God, I hate that episode so much. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the children uh, shall lead. <laughs> oh, that was no, that's the one. That's the one. I mean, where they shake their fists. Oh my God, yes. I hate that one so much. Gorgu's coming. <laughs> oh God, stop you. it. <laughs> oh God, yes. But anyways, so uh, anyway. that's Star Trek IDW Star Trek Year Five issue number nineteen, and now. We're going to dive into issue 20. But first, we're going to take a quick break. We don't have to do this anymore, but I kind of like it. It keeps things going. So you guys can quick run off to the bathroom, get some chicken wings, grab something to drink really quick. Just don't touch that dial and come right back because we're going to talk about Star Trek Year 5, issue number 20, and it's a good one. Trek Talking. All things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday nights, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And welcome back to Comic Corner. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. We just talked about the IDW uh, Star Trek Year 5, issue number 19, and we're about to dive into issue number 20. And for this one, we're going to turn to Eric. So, uh, Eric, why don't you get us started on issue number 20? Before, Before Eric says anything, I got one word... To talk to mention this book, yesteryear. Yes, absolutely. That's exactly what this. That's exactly what this story reminded me of. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. it, it, issue number twenty finds the Enterprise on course to Earth when they pick up a mysterious energy signal from the planet Vulcan, and they head there. And that's where our story picks up. And uh, Eric, take it away. Uh, yeah, Jim, this is a beginning of a new story arc. Uh, so we have left the old story arc behind. And it's cool because they also changed up artists and writers uh, for the beginning of this. So this one's written by Brandon Easton. And the artist is Sylvia Califano. Colorist D.C. Alonzo, uh, and of course, Neil Uyutaki always does the lettering, and then edited by Chase uh, Marat as usual. And uh, so I'll say this one is super cool. Like you said, there's a signal, and Bright Eyes is the one who can kind of pick it up, right? Uh, they can feel the vibes of the signal that even the sensors of the Enterprise can't pick up on. Uh, and they decide that they have to go to Vulcan in order to kind of investigate what's going on. And when they get to Vulcan, they discover this big old pier. And this is a big old pier that uh, everybody remembers having been there the entire time. And yet Bright Eyes, uh, according to them, uh, says that it it has not always been there. And in fact, uh, it does not belong there. So there's this kind of cool thing happening where you start to get insight into how a Tholian um, views time. some shenanigans kind of happen. Uh, I will say that the dialogue in this one is really good, and you get lots of dialogue from Bright Eyes, which I really like. Um, they become a really integral part of this story. And as they're all kind of checking out this uh, this pier, boom, something happens, 
and everybody's okay except Spock has disappeared. And Spock has been transported back in time to perhaps the most important part of his planet's history. Um, that critical moment back when the schism between the Vulcans and who would become the Romulans um, first appeared. And I thought that was brutal. This is a moment that I have always wanted to see in Star Trek. I've always wanted to go back exactly to the moment uh, when this happened. And of course, we get some of these um, stories lead up to these. Um, we get some in Enterprise. We get some in some of the other stories, uh, uh, series. But in this one, we get, um, you know, Spock is dropped into the middle of things, and who's there but Sirak himself? Um, so I just thought that was really cool. There's a couple of different groups that work here. The really emotional ones, uh, who of course will become the Romulans eventually, and the really logical ones who are all chilling with Serac and living by his rules. And as we kind of go through the book, we find out that the uh, the uh, what am I trying to say? Um, uh, sorry, I lost track of what I was saying there. <laughs> anyway, uh, oh yes, that um, that you know, Surak, uh It's all not like roses and stuff. You know, he. It turns out that you know, Spock makes mention in here somewhere about how history is written by the victors, and it's true. And what you don't often see in the history books is what it took to get to where you were going. And here uh, we've got this figure who's always been revered, Serac the Vulcan, um, and we find out that there are fences, and there are people getting smacked around by his police, and there are people who are unhappy with the way that he's kind of imposing sort of a martial law state on some of these people. Um, there are people hiding in tents, you know, all this kind of kind of stuff, and it's like the dark side of what it took to get the Vulcans to a totally logical society. So, I thought that was really cool, the exploration of that idea through the middle of this book. There are, of course, some cool space battles here and there. Uh, as they flip back and forth, you sort of get the story back in time where Spock is, and then you get the story in the present time, which changes just a little bit. It's like a little alternate universe. So, uh, you know, the pier shows up that everybody remembers, but Bright Eyes says was never there. And you get some ships that attack the Enterprise that look like hybrid Vulcan Romulan ships. Um, so that's pretty cool. Uh, and, you know, they introduce the Stone of Gaul, which of course is this um, mythical thing uh, in, in Vulcan mysticism, uh, which actually has a card in Star Trek Attack Wing, by the way, uh, thanks to the Vulcan faction pack, most recently <laughs> produced here. And... Uh, and, you know, kind of is almost like uh, Excalibur. It sort of has to be wielded by the right person, and it's wielded by the wrong person in this one, and it kind of backfires. And it puts the story in a very interesting place where Spock is forced to make some decisions that probably have led to timeline changes that we see Kirk also simultaneously experiencing throughout the comic. So very cool way to tell a story. It's like a past story and a future alternate timeline story at the same time. I am totally digging it. I love that Spock's the center of it. Um, and I love the Romulans are, and uh, Vulcans are both part of it. Love that Bright Eyes is right in the middle of it. So I'm on board. Love this comment. 
And I think Charles hit the nail right on the head. It's, it's yesteryear. Is, uh, yeah, absolutely. The animated series, for, you guys, for those of you who haven't, who don't know what we're talking about, um, if you've never watched the animated series, it's currently only available on Paramount Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, if, you've, if you've never seen it and you've never had the desire to watch it, you just, there's one episode that you've got to watch, and that's Yesteryear. I think it's the best one. Well, there's a couple that I really like, but this particular one, Yesteryear, is, is top-notch. D.C. Fontana wrote it. Um, it. It's really good. And it ties in, like Charles said, perfectly to what we're talking about in this comic book, only, only it's a generation back instead of a uh, millennium in time. Mm-hmm. Yesteryear, Spock goes back to meet his nine-year-old self, um, and he meets Sarek and Amanda when they're younger. It's really good. But in this one, Spock goes back, what, what 4,000 years? I mean, he goes back really far. Yeah, something like that. It's been, it's been a long time since the Romulans left. And it's a nice yeah. return to some of those stories that we got during, like I was saying, during the Enterprise era. You know, I almost felt like um, you get kind of, I know that they weren't talking about the Romulan-Vulcan split at that time, but you saw things kind of leading up to that with some of these different dissident groups in the Vulcans, you know? So I guess, I guess we're back to the same, we're, we're back to the same dilemma that we had in the last issue. And that is, does the ends justify the means? And, you know, Surik is rounding people up and, and stealing their children and putting them in re-education camps. And he's just being like a nasty dictator. And I have to think that if, the, if that happened in the modern Federation, I mean, uh, yeah, in the Federation of today, I would think that Starfleet would have stepped in and put a stop to it. Because yeah, but I think that – but isn't – the one thing that they don't really make clear in this comic, but it's the, something that I've always kind of understood was that it was the Vulcans' intense emotions as a species that were actually kind of like tearing them apart from the inside out uh, and that there were ex, there were wars and there were – you know, all of these terrible things were happening and that Surak's philosophy was a reaction – to all of that stuff. So it wasn't like it was hunky dory federation and somebody came in and said, no, man, I'm going to like dictator this. It, he came in the same way that all fascists do, which is looking like they're trying to solve a problem. And then all of a the sudden they're in charge and you have no idea why they just took your children. Right. Exactly. And, and he, he's, he's setting up, uh, I, I use the word concentration camps, basically. Um, so these big just, energy fences, yeah, it was pretty creepy, and it definitely yeah, gave it's, it's, me a different view of Serac. I would say, like, I never. Yes. I mean, I guess if you think about it, you may have gotten to this conclusion before, but I certainly have never sat and philosophized about this guy possibly being, you know, a real. I, I wouldn't. I would say fascist because he's doing it in the name of, uh, you know, righteousness here. Um, he, as a way to turn around his society from the brink of uh, apocalypse, which is what he, he sees um, basically their emotions as causing. So. Well, we did, we did see him on uh, – <laughs> we, we did meet him in the Savage Curtain episode of TOS, mm-hmm. you know, yep. along with Abraham Lincoln. 
Um, and well, and, there's, the ep- we and also, there's the episode where Archer goes back and sees him during the nuclear war, right? Um, right, right. Vulcan, yeah. So yeah. that's what I always think of. But we can also, I think it's safe to say that he was wrong because Rob, the, the emotional, they, the Romulans survived just fine. You know, well, they, in well fact, was he so? But but the question to me, Jim, is was he wrong? Because what it took for the Romulans to survive, um, it, it took them leaving, right? Like he never, there never could have been, a, and he maybe foresaw this. There never could have been an integrated society. So it took one group leaving to make the other group happy, to make both groups happy. So what's the lesson there? Is that like, we can't get along. So one group's got to leave to like some new frontier and find fresh open fields to conquer. Well, it's kind and, of a and weird of course, message, right? And they, of course, they come back together on Navarre in Discovery. Yeah. So oh, they reunify. Thing. Yeah. yeah, they do the full circle and come back again. Which, of course, um, is the way that it, it should be. And they probably – so does that mean that, like, all Star Trek that we know with the Romulans and the Vulcans is, you know, was a mistake of Serax? <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's an interesting uh, quandary. What do you think, Charles? Well, there's some, there's some interesting things in here because – one of the things I love, one of the things that I really, really like, is in the middle of the book when they're back on the Enterprise, as Bright Eye is discussing, I think he's discussing time, and you see that pencil shadow of McCoy over McCoy. Yeah, in order to like see what was going on, they had to like change to the vibrational frequency of bright eyes. So they do that. Right. Oh, but I think what's ha- but I think what's happened is I think that's an indication of a time shift because then all of a sudden they're attacked, and this is interesting because they have multiple ships decloaking, and yet they're Vulcan ships. Vulcan ships did not have a cloaking device. Yeah, and they don't exactly, they have that brown color, but they definitely have a little bit of both design in them. They've got that kind of like circle like a Vulcan ship at the front end, sort of looks a little Romulan in it as well. Good mix. Great design on those ships. But I yeah, was wondering, mix. I don't know if the Vulcan ships had, they might have had that kind of weaponry on them. But I think you're getting a, you're getting a view there of, okay, Cloaking ships are the Vulcan warships, and I think we've gotten caught in a time. We're we're getting caught into an alternate timeline, and time's changing. Enterprise is falling. Enterprise is maintaining because they're caught inside of it, but outside the ship. They're shifting into a new time frame, and all of a sudden you've got a Vulcan Vulcan war fleet coming in. But Which I Charles is interesting if you think about it. It's very interesting because Romulan fleet. 
it's exactly, it's kind of like you were talking about with yesteryear. And it's kind of what, what Eric and I were hinting at earlier. And we don't, I don't know if we find out in the next issue. I haven't picked it up yet, but um, in the alternate timeline that you're talking about, in, in, in the alternate timeline that you're talking about where the, where the fleet attacks the enterprise, does the planet Vulcan, uh, because the Romulans didn't leave and they stayed there, did Vulcan turn into a war, a warlike planet like Klingons and build fleets of battleships and, and go out, you know, on, on rampaging pirating runs and things of that nature? Is that what the Vulcan is like in this alternate timeline? I mean, or are, I mean, they, we don't or know. are they defending their planet? Are they defending their plan against this one ship and they sent a fleet of warships out to defend it? I am guessing that they are not, you know, allied with the Federation at all in this time. Right. Because they definitely reacted pretty hostily to them right away. And then they chased them down. Like they were trying to fly away and they chased them down. So hopefully the next issue will expand upon that. Oh, I'm yeah. sure that will. Spoiler alert. As I said, I refused yeah. to read issue 21 until I was, we were done reviewing 20. Yeah, yeah I, I had gotta, to I make sure I, I had to make sure and keep my review a little uh, contained because I have, I am up to date, so I'm a few issues ahead. <laughs> but that's all right. We're getting there. Yeah, we're, we're we're getting there. We're getting there. But I I did I didn't I did like how they showed that there there was differences. But like Charles said, in this alternate, um, mirror not a mirror universe, but but um, alternate universe. Have you guys noticed that Star Trek as of late, the book we're reading right now, Dan Edlis, and did you have you noticed that they're doing a lot of this um, uh, like Loki kind of stuff with these. Uh, multiple parallel universe stuff. So here's well, what I think about that, Jim. They are finally putting their money where their mouth was, and they are doing infinite diversity and infinite combinations. And yes, we're absolutely seeing more of it, and that's because they're doing it more. And I know, I know that makes some people uncomfortable because you know we used to just have the one timeline, and then we had the two timelines. And then we only had the one alternate universe, and then we had the two, and now we might, you know, there might actually be infinite ones. And that's not the first time we've explored it. Remember way back in the Boldly Go comics, uh, they they did that too. Yeah. Uh, there was, yeah so, I don't know. I dig it because I also believe that this comic is going to, this is year five, and we know it has to end before the motion picture. So we know one way or another this gets resolved, right? It's kind of like reading a story where you already know the ending, but it's very well, interesting as to how they get there. I'm, I'm assuming, uh, based on where we see Spock in Star Trek, the motion picture, I'm assuming that he's running with Surik on the planet Vulcan and Vulcan's past. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming that that leads him uh, when, when uh, well, first of all, they're going to fix everything. So let's get that Narrative. out of the way. Yeah. yeah. But when they fix everything, when they do get everything fixed, I'm assuming that everything that Spock goes through to get things fixed leads him to the Colonar back Absolutely. on the planet Vulcan, because that's where we see him in the motion picture. So I'm assuming that all of this, this, this stuff 
affects Spock and makes him go to back to Vulcan uh, to learn the Kalamar. Yeah, I'm I assuming. fully expect. I'm I'm wondering if we're going to end up with Spock there. We'll see. Because I do I think mean, that'd be very interesting. Yeah, because that's but, because that's where we see him in the motion picture. So, you know, I could be but, wrong, but but I mean, this is crazy but, what's going on in this book right now because he's altering the timeline knowingly right now. He saw yeah. he saw what was going on in the past, and his he had an emotional reaction to it, <laughs> right? Because he's half human, and he's like, "Nah, I can't let this happen." And he goes in ebook and neck pinches Surak. <laughs> So like, <laughs> he knows what he's doing. He like, how can he? How can Spock lo- be putting any logic into this right now? I can't wait to see how they weave their way out of that. Now, do do the Vulcans uh, 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 in that time frame know about the Vulcan nerve pinch yet, or are they still just running around in the deserts and that they haven't learned that that philosophy uh, yet? Is that like is that part of Surik's uh, philosophy that the neck pinch I or is that think, something that I think it's, you know, it's well I don't know the answer to that but my guess would be that it's more related to the to the um, oh shoot what were they called the ones from Enterprise the Vulcans from Enterprise the uh, oh the stalagmites the st- yeah <laughs> that's what you are <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah the stalagmites. Yeah. Yeah, the um, Lagmites. They live. They, they live down the Vulcan it. Forge. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I wonder if that's actually more related to it. Because remember, they were the ones who were mind melding when it was taboo to be mind melding. And I feel like a oh, neck right. pinch is kind of like a. There's like a little. It's not just a physical technique. I've always ha- associated with it that there is a. Um, you know, it's like a martial art. It's, there's almost like a philosophy to a Vulcan that pinch. That's, that's, I mean, you don't see humans throwing them down. You see, uh, well, didn't Una do one or something? Didn't we have somebody do? Data, do Data one? did one. Oh, Data did one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> but he's an android. <laughs> so, you know, he can do whatever he wants. Yeah, he, he, he's Data. But, but Jim, go ahead, Charles. I'm going to go backtrack to your story is that, well, they're doing a mirror, we're doing an alternate universe, but I think to solve the story they wanted to solve in Dead Endless, I think we need to go to a different universe to be able to solve the problem. Uh-oh, we're crossing right. over the book now. And you'll find out why. <laughs> yep. But I think, it's, I, think it's a good, I think it was a good way of doing it. It is, yeah. So I like some of the idea of crossing over and let's experiment a little bit with what's out there. So that's an interesting thing because so in Star Trek, we have up until, like you're saying, Jim and Charles, recently had this philosophy of that there is one right timeline, right? You go to every single time travel episode of Star Trek and they always have to put it right at the end. And they're going to do it here again. We know because we know it's leading to the motion picture. So despite the fact that they're kind of like touting infinite diversity and infinite combinations, it almost feels like they're working against that sometimes too, because they insist on bringing everything back to the prime timeline here in so many of these stories. And granted, these are beta canon, right? We're reading comic books here. So I'm not talking 
I mean, this is an official Star Trek comic, but it's, you know, a little different from a movie or yeah. episode, I guess. Right. And, and I, I think it's really cool how how uh, they've they've told us in the comic book that Tholians are kind of like Guinan, and they, they're attuned to time through, through the yeah. vibrations. I thought that was really yeah. cool. It's that Ahura is the one that figured that out. Yeah, Bright Eye says they see time differently, and we kind of knew that a little bit from the um, from the Philly Web episode, right, where they kind of make this connection. Or no, that was through a rift of some kind, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that but, was a rift. But they're that very punctual, different. though. Time, you know, they're they're like right. Time is like really important to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that idea of a race that's so different. You know, it, it doesn't bleed. It has a totally different temperature range from you. It sees time differently. Uh, and then you bring somebody like that onto your crew. What better way to, to you know, bring in infinite diversity and infinite combinations, get better, you know, get new ideas. Nobody else on the crew of the Enterprise could have uh, led this expedition in this issue where it went, except Bright Eyes, right? Because nobody else could even sense this crazy time signal from Vulcan. Right. Well, they, they all thought they they all thought it was always there, even though they knew it wasn't right. They always remembered it being there, because if if I remember correctly, the the vibrations that that uh, Bright Eyes was putting out were, was protecting the crew, uh, mostly from that. Yeah. Well, what they I almost think that I read this one way and then I think actually Charles might be right because it's on the very first page you know Spock says as none of our sensors can register the signal but bright eyes can we can attune our sensors to bright eyes unique vibrational frequency which they do and Uhura does and then bright eyes says something in their language and then there's the little shifty shift and I think I think uh, I think Charles is right I think that's when the time shift happens and like the Pillar suddenly appears. It's almost like Bright Eyes knew it was going to be there before it was. Right. So, so it's pretty cool, and I love their little spacesuit, Bright Eyes' little spacesuit that they walk around in. It's so cool. No, believe it or not, guys, we are just about out of time. Hard to Ooh. hard to believe. So great. so uh, Charles, what would you give this on a score of one to ten? What would you give this issue? I want to match with the previous issue, 8.75. This is still a good issue. I didn't, I didn't tie in the Vulcans and Romulan part, but definitely it's another good issue. It's another one that's like, okay, I, I got to know what's happening. I got to know what happens next. I can't stop yeah. here. Got to get another issue. Pulled you right in, and there's only five issues left. After this, wow. And uh, what about what about you, Eric? What would you give this? Uh, yeah, I think I'm right up there. Uh, I'll say yeah, I'll say an eight point seven. Uh, it was great to see Celia's art again. Uh, definitely different from Angel Hernandez's art. Uh, it's got like a softer edge to it. Isn't quite as uh, like jagged. Uh, but still pops like crazy. Still has awesome uh, color work um, by the colorist DC Alonso. So yeah, I really like this 
Yeah, I'm going to go with an, an 8675309. There so, you go. I, I kind of liked it. Jenny loves it. So listen, guys, uh, that's our first comic corner in what seems like ages. But we will be back with more. We also have Book Milk. We're going to be talking about Dead Endless, the Discovery book. I haven't scheduled that yet, but it's on the horizon. And so is our next comic corner, which will be year five, um, issue 21 and 22. That will be on the horizon as well. And uh, we're going to keep it on Mondays, guys. 730 Mm -hmm. on Monday. Works for me. Keep an eye out. You want to look in your comic comic book store. You want to look for Star Trek, The Mirror War, episode issue zero. Yeah. You cool. want that in your collection if you're a Mirror Universe fan. Yeah, we're going to have to squeeze that one in as well. So yeah. uh, so we've got a lot more to talk about, guys. So, so uh, keep us tuned in. And also, don't forget Thursday night, Trek Talking. we got a really great show. We're going to be talking about Jeffrey, um, Jeffrey Combs' return to Star Trek on Star Trek Lower Decks um, episode. Uh, what's the name of that episode? Um, Where the Fountain Lies. And we're going to be talking about that. That episode will be on Thursday. So keep that in mind. And uh, we've got a lot of great stuff to talk about on Thursday night. So tune in for that, 7.30 uh, p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And our phone number is, of course, 646-668-2433. Coincidentally, the same number for Comic Corner. So you see a pattern developing there? <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyways, you can head over to Facebook, Truck Talking and Beyond, and that way you'll never miss a show. Or you can visit us at Blog Talk Radio backslash Trek Talking. And if you give us a like and give us a follow there, you'll get an email every time I schedule a show. You'll get an email reminder so you never miss a show. And you'll be able to check out all of our archive shows, which is great because we got some great ones. Anyways, that wraps up Comic Corner. And um, I just want to say to everybody, please be good to each other and stay safe. I'm Uncle Jim saying good night and hailing frequencies are closed. Night, y'all. Live long and prosper. Let's see what's out there. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.